to tell you, the battle for holiness begins in your heart. The battle for you to be holy as God is holy is found within your heart. For example, have you ever as a Christian found yourself doing something you know you shouldn't do? You're in the middle of doing something that is wrong and you wonder, how in the world am I doing this and why can't I stop? Whether it be a little white lie or maybe it's one of the biggies, you will always think, why did I do that and how can I stop? If you've ever been at the crossroads of wanting to do right but doing the wrong thing instead, then have heart today. Because you're in great company. The Apostle Paul was encouraging the church in Rome to see that being a believer in Jesus Christ is not a path of perfection. What do I mean by that? Uh, Trista, can you cut this down just a little bit? Because when I I lay on the gas, it's going to break up. But uh, thank you. But, but what I'm saying is, is that I want you to understand that, that the road to holiness is not one of you being perfect, okay? It is one of you and I being in the process of becoming holy. We have to fight to be holy because everything in this world wants to make you unholy. If you don't believe me, watch 10 minutes of television and look at the ads. Folks, when they use sex to sell toothpaste you know that we are in a skewed environment. And so the thing is, is that the Apostle Paul, like I said, he tried to do the right things, but even he had an evil force at work within him. It is a fight. It is a bloody fight to be holy. And as I, as I think about this fight, I think about two attractions in the Wilmington area that I grew fond of uh, very quickly. The first one uh, is Fort Caswell in Oak Island. Uh, it is, you know how South Carolina Baptists, they have White Oak out in the middle of the Columbia somewhere where there's just like nothing but White Oak? Well, you can go to White Oak, but in North Carolina they have right, uh, right there on the coast, it is an old fort, Fort Caswell, that the Baptist bought, or it was given to them years ago. And Fort Caswell is a retreat center for the North Carolina Baptist. It's one of only three masonry forts in the state of North Carolina, and that fort was used in the Civil War, in the Spanish-American War, World War One, and World War II, as well as the Persian Gulf and Haitian War. And after the Civil War, it remained in ruins until money appropriated for its reconstruction in 1896. And if you go to that, it's a beautiful campus, and you actually stay. Some of the houses you stay in were built during the Civil War for different generals. And it was just, and they have the big area out there where the troops would gather. And it was, it's just an amazing place to be. But in these old forts, you can walk through them. And that, man, the kids love walking through forts. You know, we scare people and play hide and go seek and all that kind of stuff. But as I think about it, I think when I see a wall where it's obvious some type of cannonball or some type of explosion took a side of it out, I think about the carnage and the sacrifice. The second place that I love about Wilmington, North Carolina, is the battleship USS North Carolina. 
That battleship is the, the first of ten battleships to join the American fleet in World War II. And at the time of her commissioning on April 9th in 1941, she was considered the world's greatest sea weapon. Well, after serving as a training vessel for midshipmen and, and also being decommissioned in June of 1947, she was dedicated as a memorial to the World War II veterans in... 1962. So today you can go to the USS North Carolina and tour it. And uh, it's pretty neat. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a little bit of buzz about it. It's actually been on, uh, I think the Science Fiction Network had a ghost hunting show uh, where they went into the USS North Carolina. Just being from there for 12 years, I know that there are some weird things that have gone on uh, in that area. But uh, the church I was at, every Easter we'd have a sunrise service on the bow of that battleship. And there's been plenty of times that I've gone through that battleship, but it's amazing as you walk through. Again, there was uh, one of, it, it never sank, but yet there was one time, one time a torpedo hit uh, the, uh, the restroom area for, for the crew, and it killed a lot of people there. And so they, they take you through all of that, and they show you some of the scars that she had. And it's just amazing. And what's the point I'm trying to make here? The point is this, is that these Fort Caswell, USS North Carolina, they are reminders of greatness and people that have served. But nevertheless, they are a reminders that we have fought to be where we are today. That men and women have laid their lives on the line for our country so that you and I can sit in the comfort of a pew of an air-conditioned building and hear the Bible being taught. They have paid the price and they have fought the price so that we can worship the God of our choosing. Just as they fought for us to be here, God calls you and I to fight. To fight for holiness. I've been overwhelmed at the battles that those people have, those things, those uh, two places have seen. But as long as there is sin in this world, there are always going to be wars. We want peace, don't we? we? We all want peace, but I'm telling you, as long as sin is in the world, there will never be peace. And the greatest war you and I each are fighting today is one to be holy. So where does this battle take place, and what is it between? Well, the battle for holiness is between our flesh and our spirit. As I said in the opening, have you ever done something that you didn't want to do, but you found yourself... Doing it anyway, that's because there is a constant battle between our flesh and our spirit. And Paul talks about it in Romans seven fourteen through 25. Uh, let me read that for you. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. In other words, Paul the Apostle is saying, I can't stand the fact that I'm a hypocrite. That's what he's saying. He says in verse 16, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin living within me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, 
If I do what I do want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do good, evil is with me. For my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But here we go, folks. Here's the war. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Then verse 25 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. How do you know when you're speeding? It's pretty obvious. You know you're speeding when you see a sign that says speed limit is 60 miles an hour. And you look at your speedometer, and it says 70 miles an hour. Does it take a rocket scientist to know when you're speeding? Nine times out of ten, if the officer comes up to your window and says, Sir, did you know you're speeding? We'll say, No, I didn't, but actually you did. So not only were you speeding, you're lying to. But we know we're speeding because the sign says this is the speed limit. How do you know when you sin? Because... God tells you what sin is. This is our speed limit sign. And what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying that that God gave the Israelites the Old Testament, which we call the law, which is considered the Ten Commandments and, and a lot of health laws, dietary laws, eating laws. He set that up in the Old Testament for the Jewish nation, the Israelites, because they didn't know how to live. He had to teach them through his word how to live and be not only healthy but successful. But when Jesus came in the New Testament, he fulfilled all of those laws and established what is called a new covenant, which is this. You take all of the Old Testament, and when you bring it into the New Testament with the work of Jesus Christ, the bottom line is Jesus says, "What? what, if if you have to cliff note this book, if you have to, to boil this down into a blanket statement for a news bite, if you have to put a tweet Describing the Bible and what God wants for you to do, what is it? And he would say simply this, love God and love others. Love God and love others. But how do we have any hope of being holy as God is holy if he did not tell us what he expects from us? How could you be holy? How could you aim If you're taking an archery class, I mean, I had all of three archery classes at scout camp one year, okay? And so if if they give you the bow and they give you the arrow and they say, shoot, what are they going to tell you to shoot at? A target. You're going to shoot at a target. Folks, if we do not read the Bible, if we do not meditate on the Bible, if we try our best to be the best Christian we can be, Apart from reading the Bible, we are shooting the arrow with no target. The Bible is, is here not to make us feel bad about ourselves and put us on guilt trips, but the Bible is here to reveal the fact that we are sinning so that we can deal with it. It shows us that the road that we're traveling, we're speeding, even if we don't know it. I'll never forget one time, and I might have told you the story because it's really it's pretty embarrassing, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, we were we were at seminary uh, at New Orleans, 
And so myself and about four other guys, as big as I am, if not bigger, piled into a four-door rented car. It was a Plymouth Breeze. Do you remember the breezes? Oh, my goodness. I mean, we looked like a tuna can going down the road with, with all of us hanging out the window. It was, it was kind of sight. But, but I think I'd rented the car. And so I was driving. And, we, I mean, it was like we were on a lunch break. We went to our favorite restaurant. We were going down the city and the streets of New Orleans. And there is, I, I'm no lie, there is a cop on foot. Okay? A cop on foot on the side of the road. And over here he's got his motorcycle with his, the front of his motorcycle pointed toward us. And it was his radar gun. And I'm going 35 miles an hour in a Plymouth breeze with more meat in that wagon than probably when Dixie has ever seen. I mean, and we are hungry. I mean, I mean, you're going in the city, you go 35, right? Nope, speed limit is 25. I got a ticket. And a hundred and some dollars later, it was over with. But I, yes, in New Orleans, I got pulled over for speeding by a cop on foot. <laughs> but here's the thing. The cop said, uh, no, sir. Uh, the, the city statue is, it's 25 in city areas unless otherwise posted. But the thing is, the, the route I was taking, there was nothing posted. I was going 35 miles an hour. I was speeding, and I didn't know it because I didn't know the law. We sin. There are people that live life, they are in sin, and they do not know it because they do not read the rules. Okay? And so in our battle for holiness, we need this Bible is an MRI for our soul. Okay? I mean, when we go to get either an x-ray or MRI, we're, we're trying to find things in our body that we can't see with our, our regular eyes. And so reading the Bible is an MRI for the soul. Paul is saying here that God uses the word, number one, to expose our sins. To expose our sins. And then the second thing is, any army cannot fight an enemy they cannot see, right? And then the third thing is, sin is our enemy. And the fourth thing is, we struggle with sin because God enables us to see it. Let me tell you this, Christian. If you are a Christian here today, and like Paul, you are struggling with some type of sin... God bless you. You're doing exactly what he's called you to do. Read his word. Look at sin in your life. Confess it. Repent from it. And move on until something else comes up. That's what Paul is doing. But if you consider yourself a believer today and you're not reading his word and you think you are sinless, you are lost. Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'll tell you what, I mean, we can have cancer and not know it and think that we are healthy. And then one day you go into the hospital and they say, oh, by the way, you have cancer. Oh, no way, doc, I feel great. No, look at the MRI, it shows it right here. And you say, no, I, I don't have it, you're wrong. No, the MRI shows it right here. You can deny it all you want, but it's there. Sin 
is crouching at the door, wanting to devour us and see us go down. But, but we see here in Romans 7, 21 through 25 that I just read, your old nature wants to keep us in its grasp. Here's the thing, is that wouldn't it be great that once you become a Christian, even having the desire to do bad things would be taken away from you? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great just to know that when you become a Christian, God automatically changes and flips a switch in your mind where you want to eat nothing but vegetables and things that are healthy for you? Amen. But I would say no, because last night, i got to tell you, Donna and I, we were right on the, on, the, on the edge of sinning. We had our date night. We've been good all week. We had our nice, healthy dinners. And then you know what we had to end it with? A molten chocolate cake. Oh, I'm telling you what. That's, a, that's the kind of cake where you eat it and the eyes roll in the back of your head. And, but you know what? I told Donna, no lie. I said, Donna, God had to have made this because it is so good. But you know what? If God had pre-wired us to not eat those things, to not have a cheat day, if God would have pre-wired us and said, oh, you're a Christian, now you're going to eat nothing but vegetables and, and live like a rabbit. Where would the fun been in that? If God would have said, when you become a Christian, your life is going to be perfect and you will never need me again, is what it would say. Folks, the very reason God leaves the sinful nature within us is because time after time after time, God wants us to follow Him because we love Him and we choose to love Him more than the sin that our body wants to commit. Because if He were to pre-program us like a computer or a robot, we would just react. But He doesn't want our reaction. He wants our relationship. And so the fact that Paul is saying here, look, I have got this sinful nature in, in my life. What he's saying is, is that before I knew, met Jesus Christ, that sinful nature had free reign on the throne of my life. But when Jesus Christ came into my life, at that moment on the road to Damascus where he, where he converted me, at that moment when I went from being a man that killed Christians to a man that built churches, in that moment when my life changed, it was because he loved me and he wanted me to follow him in a relationship. And I am going to fight as hard as I can to be all that God wants me to be. That is what it means to fight for holiness. The second thing is we see that the battlefield for holiness, where does it take place? Well, it takes place in our hearts. The battle for holiness takes place in our hearts because when you read the Bible, the heart actually represents the entirety or the whole of somebody's life. And when someone says, I love you with all of my heart, what is that saying in today's world? It means with my thoughts, with my minds, with my emotions, you know, when I hear love songs, I think of you. When I think about the, the, the greatest things in life, I think about you. You're in my mind. You're in my thoughts. You're in my emotions. I love you. One, 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 one. You're in my heart. The Bible says that the heart represents the whole of our lives, who we are, our emotions, our reasoning, our understanding, and our affections. So if our heart represents who we are, 
Take a look at Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Remember, the heart represents who we are. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil, thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil, uh, actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. In verse 23, all of these evil things come from within and defy a person. They all come out of the people's heart. Folks, I want you to understand, and I've talked about this in, in other messages on the holy, holy issue, is that the default for our, our hearts, that our default setting is sin. It is a whole lot easier for us to go into sin than to try to be holy. But the thing is, is that we are living contradictions. Paul here, basically, he incriminates himself in Romans 7, doesn't he? I said just a moment ago, Paul is calling himself and owning the fact that he is a hypocrite. You ever heard somebody say, I'm not going to go to that church because they're full of hypocrites. I say, come on and join one more. We need one more. You know, that, you know, Homeland Park Baptist Church, I want you to know your pastor's a hypocrite. At some point, I will not do what I say I should do. At some point, my evil nature will take over. But because of Jesus Christ and because we take captive every thought that comes into our minds and comes into our hearts, it means that I am not perfect, but I am trying to do the best I can to pursue holiness and to be holy as God is holy. Uh, it's talking about contradictions. You might have heard of the story. 1886, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a novella entitled The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It deals with a respected, upstanding businessman, Dr. Jekyll, who has had a secret evil side named Edward Hyde. And he thinks that he, he, thinks that he can control his alter ego, but he fails in his attempts. Folks, when is the last time you said, I'll never do something? You ever said that? I have. And lo and behold, I find myself doing it. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says this. It says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, Yahweh, examine the mind. I test the heart and give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Basically, what this is saying is that all of us have a dark side, whether we like to admit it or not. There is a force at work within us that wages war against the very work that God wants to do in you and I. And I want you to understand something. We're contradicting. We're, we're contradictory. We're messed up. We're sinful. But here's the beautiful thing about that. Jesus did not turn a blind eye to the nature of a person's heart. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, Jesus realized that man is a sinner, unable to control or change his own nature, and that is why Jesus came to earth, to die for lost sinners. I want you to understand it this way, is that Jesus saw that we were in quicksand and that we could not help ourselves. And the harder we tried to get out, the more cemented and stuck we became. And these things that make us feel less than, 
these sins that we have trouble controlling, this process of becoming holy that causes us to be sick is the very reason Jesus came. Because He loves you. If you think you have it all together today, stop it. You don't. None of us will have it all together until that day when we have our new heavenly body and we are in a new kingdom. But the thing about our contradictions is, I want you to understand this, and I don't mean to be rude about this, but you cannot fix yourself. You are broken beyond anything that you can repair in your own strength. That is why you need, and I need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Jesus left His throne and He left His glory to save us from ourselves. And that your contradictions, your hypocrisy, and your sin that you have today is the very thing that makes Jesus love you. The very thing that makes Jesus love you. If you go to a doctor and you're having chest pains, and the doctor says, how are you feeling today? You say, oh, I'm fine. He says, well, good. You have a good blood pressure and everything's good. And, and you say, well, you go home and you say, yep, doctor said I checked out fine. Did you tell him about your chest pains? Nope. What's going to happen? You'll probably end up dying. But at least the doctor said you were healthy, right? Folks, we can put our head in the sands and act like we're not sinners and we're holier than thou, but we are not. Just like Paul, we have a dark side. We have that sinful nature that wants to come out. So the third thing we see is that you are not alone in this fight for holiness. You are not alone. The biggest thing in fighting a battle is getting the right intel. Getting enough information to be able to fight the battle correctly. You need to get intel to fight for holiness. Do you know how the CIA was established? You know where it began? I mean, all we know now is like phone taps and terrorism and rights and all that kind of stuff. But the CIA was established in 1947 as a reaction by the National Security Act. It was a reaction for an attack on Pearl Harbor in December 7th, 1941, which led to the, the beginning of World War II. And here's the thing. The United States, they had intel on Japan. And they had all this information on Japan, but they could have never have known and never assumed that the Japanese would go to the lengths that they did by having kamikaze pilots fly their planes into our ships and into our base and into our destroyers, they had no idea of contemplating what links they would go to. They had bad intel. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if you base your life off of the opinion of others and what your Facebook wall says, and if you base your opinions on what the talk shows say, or what Mari or Jerry Springer or whoever else, or, or even your best friends if you trust them for the intel to guide your life, all the while side-skirting this, you are getting bad intel. Here's a news flash: God created you, and this is the owner's manual. If you want life to work, it works within these pages. 
God will give you the intel you need to fight for holiness. Let me show you this passage. Turn to Psalm 139. And you should underline these two verses or or highlight them or at least write them down to, to memorize them later. God will help you with the intel that you need in your fight for holiness by Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is a scary prayer. This is a bold prayer. But either way, this is how we get intel on how we should live in our fight for holiness. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you want God to give you intel, you've got to give him access. God's word searches our hearts. His word searches our heart and his Holy Spirit powers that searching. Let me give you five pitfalls for bad spiritual intel. Five pitfalls for bad spiritual intel. Number one, searching our hearts apart from God. Look, here's the thing. If we try to search our hearts and figure out what's wrong with us, we will only dig ourselves a deeper hole. You remember the whole self-esteem movement? You need to love yourself above everybody else. That's why our nation is in the shape we are in today is because we are too consumed with ourselves. And if we try to search our lives and fix what's broken in our lives apart from God, we will never get the answer. Searching for everything that is wrong in our lives apart from God, you know what that does? It gives Satan room to work his best. Why is that? Because Satan's nature, you know what Satan is? Satan is an accuser. And if all you do is evaluate yourselves upon your sins and your shortcomings, the Satan will say, you're worthless. You're not even worth saving. Just go ahead and end it. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, when the devil is done with you, he will destroy you. If we search within ourselves, we will only dig a deeper hole. The second pitfall is not getting the full picture of our sins. Many people will talk to me about this one sin that they're dealing with. They'll say, oh, preacher, this is, this is the one sin. And they're even really better at identifying the sin somebody else has. That there, there are people who have no problem telling me, you know, I was sitting down with this person in this relationship, and that person has done this, this, and that is wrong, and the Bible said so. I'm like, okay, great. You know that sin, but, but what about the sin of animosity and unforgiving heart and, and, and disregard for the love of the other person that, that you're dealing with? Have you seen that? Oh, no, preacher, no, no. I'm, I'm here to talk about them. I'm here to talk about this other sin. Look, if we give God one sin but not all of our sins, we're not giving Him all of ourselves. So a pitfall for bad spiritual intel is only worrying about the big sin and not the little ones that support it. Also, not keeping our desires in check for the wrong things. Not keeping our desires 
for the wrong things in check. Jerry Bridges states in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, man has listened to his desires more than his reason. Desire has come to be the strongest faculty in man's heart. If you remember back in the garden, what did the serpent say to Eve and Adam? So surely God didn't say you couldn't eat from that tree. Don't you want to be just like God? Surely he wants you to eat from that tree. He didn't. And they were busted for it. They got some bad intel because they followed their desires rather than God's will. Also, number four, overconfidence. And I I talked about this a moment ago. If you've ever said, I'll never do that, mark your days because you will. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13 says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. And then here's the one we all know. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able, <laughs> you are able to bear it. If you have this weight of temptation on you, He will give you a way out. But it says here, it's not going to be like lickety-split, run, get out of the way. Sometimes you have to work with that sin. You have to bear it. Sometimes the sin that we fight with, sometimes the battle for holiness is the very thing that's making you stronger. I'll go ahead and tell you, I hate lifting weights. And the more I weight, the more lifts I weight, and the more weight I lift. There you go. The more weights I lift, you got to put on more after it gets easy, right? I remember when when I first started back, I mean, I'd taken a year break. Don't ever do that. When when you're working out, just keep working out until you die. That's that's the best thing to do because if you don't, you're going to be sore when you go back. And when when I'd stopped, at my my heyday, when I'd stopped lifting weights, I'd been back to having a couple 45-pound plates on both sides. and, And so I go back and I try that. I can't even budget. And I was so sore for about a week. But finally, it has gotten back. I hate lifting weights, but you got to do it to be in shape, right? I hate going through temptation. I hate battling and fighting my sinful nature. But we have to do it because it makes us stronger. And also, we need to stop taking God for granted. Jude 1, verse 4 says, Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying, that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We have got churches, folks. We have got denominations that are sanctioning sin and calling it God's will. This is not new. Jude was addressing that. And folks, our nation... Our churches will be judged for taking lightly God's word. It says in Romans 6, 1 and 2, Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The biggest problem with Christians and church today is that we have our pep rallies on Sunday and we live like hell the rest of the week because nobody is fighting for holiness. The answer to experiencing God's grace is not to continue living an unholy life under the influence of your sinful lifestyle.
but it is to live a holy life and fight for the life God has designed for you. So, in conclusion, I would say to win the fight for holiness in our lives, we must remember that in your fight to holiness, you are your greatest threat. You are your greatest threat. We fight for holiness because God tells us in 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy because I am holy. We are not alone in our fight. 1 Corinthians 30 says this, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made himself to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. Folks, we fight for holiness because if we don't, the very sin that we don't fight will be the sin that takes us down. Are you tired of discouragement, depression, and stress, worry, and unfulfillment? Are you tired of fighting your sinful nature in your own strength? Folks, please, if you hear anything else I've said today, is that your sinful nature is not going to go away. For those of you that don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have no weapons to fight it with. But if you are a Christian, you've got every weapon you ever need. And you've got Jesus that will help you fight it. you just got to pick up the sword. This sword. The two-edged sword. And fight. God, thank you for this service today. Lord, thank you for reminding us that the Christian life is just not about attending church, going home, and being good all week. That, Lord, we all have evil in our lives that we have to address to keep in check, and to surrender to your will. If there's someone here today that is lost in their battle and they realize that they are a sinner and they need help to become holy, Lord, to have a relationship with you, I pray that they would come forward. I'll pray with them and we'll get them started on this beautiful journey. And Lord, if there is someone, a Christian, that is living a life of defeat that needs a rededication or strength, Lord, may they come forward or just come to the altar and pray. It'll be open, Lord. Fortune, your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?